Welcome to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. We interview great guests who inspire you to overcome obstacles and achieve your goals. Be sure you visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, just relax as you listen. You can do something else, but be ready to make an important note. And let's get started. The title of this interview is Keep Your Ass Alive. I love it. And my guest, I'm going to say special guest because really, I'm not going to say I'm intimidated, but I don't know if I've ever been so intrigued by a guest as Callie Dubois. Now, I first I connected with her on Facebook and I was just telling her in, in our discussion before this, I love her posts because she, they so stand out and they always get uh, a certain amount of controversy. I don't think she looks for it. I think that she knows, she knows what she knows and she states it. And some people are like, what? And they're like, and Kelly's like, yeah, I love it. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about sexuality. She is a sex therapist folks. All right. So buckle up. We're going to talk about sexuality awareness of persuasion, situational awareness, really excellent subjects that, that really that we don't we don't talk about much on this podcast. Not that I'm a prude, but it kind of intimidates me. I'm kidding. <laughs> so Callie Dubois is a sex therapist, like I said, and she focuses on grit and resilience training. I love, I'm an ex-paratrooper, by the way, Callie. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> Welcome, a pleasure to finally meet you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're quite welcome. We're going to be talking about her, your new book, How to Keep mm-hmm. Your Ass Alive. <clears throat> excuse me, alive during sexual assault. Let me say that without the the cough. How to keep your ass alive during sexual assault. Now that is interesting. We'll be mm-hmm. talking about adventures based sex therapy and resilience. Great stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's it's a, truly a pleasure to finally meet you. Great stuff, yeah. and I. Okay. I know we have a number of mutual friends, which we tend to do in the change work community uh, and personal developers. And, but you, you're a very, I'm, I'm, you know, this is not self-aggrandizement. I'm a very unique person because I embrace my individuality. And to me, it's so ultra important. It's also important to be a team player, of course, but I don't, I don't, I don't shy away from myself. I think it's the greatest gift I have. Uh, and not in a narcissistic way. I mean, this is what God gave me to say. I say that in the most non-religious way possible. And mm-hmm. and it's my job, it's my end to make the most of it. I think you do the same thing. Right. And the key thing is if you have a driver that makes you wake up every morning and throw on your shoes and have that level of excitement, that's living. We're going to be dead a lot longer than alive. Being in a nine to five and cultural rut is what kills us slowly. Oh, we absolutely. all end up with heart attacks or some kind of, you know, misalignment. I think the 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 the, the pressure of, of society has always been to force a person into conformity. And I think that perhaps those pressures are greater than ever before. Uh, perhaps I mean I mean listen we're 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 fortunate not, uh, enough not to be you know alive there in you know or in Soviet Russia or any other uh, oppressive society but it's getting it's getting pretty rough out there. Right, right. We also have deterioration of family values right now here in the western part of the United States. We call them coastal elites. 
because of what's happening with gender um, identity issues and also with dating apps uh, being kind of prevalent with taking away family values and that shopper mentality of who's next. And that loses value for those that are, you're sexually intimate with because they can just go and replace you. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. So a lot of people have these perturbations around, you know, even getting involved anymore. So if people aren't having children, they're not having families. And then we have Roe versus Wade recently. To me, I think that we're going to actually do a different trajectory here in the next 20 years. I think things are going to go back to family values, hopefully, because we still need that kind of um, normal, uh, quote unquote, normal in order to have the contrast. Because if I, everyone's a pervert, then what makes us all unique? You mean, really? Right, right. Well, all right. I should be in an exclusive club. This shouldn't be the mainstream. Right. <laughs> I, right. I, I totally right. concur. Family is the building block to society, no matter which society it is. And, and it's really taking, it's, it's having a hard time these days, very hard time. Uh, and, you know, I remember, you know, I'm 57, I just turned 57. I remember when you know, the internet started promising these dating, dating applications and, they be, and then smartphones came out and they became even more pervasive. Mm -hmm. I, I checked it out after the, the breakup of my relationship. I didn't like it. I'm like, I thought I'd use it big time because it's so logical. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll match my value. I'll, my values will be matched with someone of the same values. But it seemed something I should avoid. Uh, that, that this doesn't that that this had a lot more shine to it than substance. <laughs> you know, right? It's kind of scary. So, Go on. So let me ask you this: a little personal question. Uh, oh no. <laughs> uh, are you are you currently married? No, no. I, I have a. I'm in a monogamous relationship now, okay. and uh, it's pretty good. Uh, How, yeah. What are your thoughts on monogamy? Um, as long as you don't get caught. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. Don't ask, uh, don't tell, right? No, no, uh, not at all. Monogamy is is a wonderful thing. Uh, it, it may. We may, we may not be wired for it. It, it may be almost impossible uh, <laughs> or at least difficult, very difficult, uh, you know, especially when things are strained and incompatibility is really rearing its ugly head. Or I wouldn't say, I, I'm, I'm kind of being facetious there because compatibility yeah. is ne necessary for a, a successful relationship. But that does, you know, you're going to have problems. <laughs> we have problems, right? Mm -hmm. And it goes back to kind of a Venn diagram where there is a centerpiece where two people connect in interest together. And I think that's what really keeps a relationship alive. Monogamy to me is a construction of conformity, uh, but it also is something that, you know, when I work with couples, the monotony of the sexuality and uh, working with them through those hard times of uh, man, I feel like he's my sibling now, or I've seen her naked a thousand times. There's nothing new. I can't get aroused. Yes. Uh, those are the common questions and concerns that I hear on a day-to-day -day basis for almost 20 years. Um, so falling back in love with your partner, falling into that lust, that state and revivifying it so that it's a propelling, um, a driver that you go home and you're excited for that person 
uh, by doing mental house cleaning. I call that because it's like after 20 years or 15 years married to someone, you're going to have to revivify those original values you set with them. Um, but it, to me, I think everyone should, you know, I have a different type of philosophy. I believe that everyone should at some point in their life have multiple lovers they live with um, and see if they can run a house of, of fun and excitement. And this actually goes back to the, the traditional tantric lineages of, of celebrating tantric uh, sexuality uh, based on a lunar cycle with different <laughs> lovers. Yeah, to enhance their sexual energies and power, you know, it's actually about power enhancement. Wow. So, but so, yeah, yeah. You're saying, you're saying everyone, more or less, should, should have at some point, should have like a triad or four people or five people and see if they can manage it, you know, tribal. And, and then go back to the cultural I, norms, right? I think then go I, back to the cultural norms because well, you'll have appreciation. <laughs> this is your forte. This is you're the expert. But you know, you know, I've been around a bit, and uh, and I can't discount the value of my own experience. Mm -hmm. I think that you know, wouldn't it be highly competitive? And wouldn't there always be uh, losers or, or in that situation? I think everything's a game, so of course. <laughs> okay, right? there you go. But it's, uh, there's always a key player. There's always a mastermind, right? So, but then there's also. Um, a lot of polyamorous groups who believe in very direct communication. And we've seen this on TV shows uh, like Kamala Devi's Married and Dating, which was on Showtime for about four seasons. And she is in the San Diego community of, of polyamory. She's a pretty well-known speaker in that community. And they did it pretty good. Like they did their community and the communication necessary to have multiple lovers. They were married and they had a child, but they also had girlfriends and boyfriends and their sexuality and gender of their sexuality was flexible. Um, so for me, I think that everyone should have flexibility because if we get into either or thinking, our circular logic, our double bind, if you're into hypnotherapy or those linguistic terms, is uh, if we get into either or thinking, I'm with this person or I'm not with this person, we're going to have a gestalt that's out of order. We're going to feel weird. You know, our ecology is out of check. So we want many options and we want to free our minds up to those options so we can actually choose the one we want to be with instead of having it given to us. And that's what marriage, I think marriage, the legal aspect of marriage should be deteriorated from society. I don't think the state should be involved I, so. I I agree. Now, you you are a doctor, right? Yeah, I have a PhD. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's great. And you know, by the way, and I say this certainly with no derision. You know, you're a pretty woman. I say that very respectfully, professionally. Uh, and uh, and you also, when you post pictures on, on Facebook, I'm like, mm -hmm. you really whatever you got, you really bring it out. It's like you're very sexual. You know, uh, to use the word arousing, I guess in your presence, I could use it since this is your sexual therapist. You really bring it. It's not like, wow, this woman really oozes sexuality. And and uh, by the way, this is an audio podcast, but we also post a, a, a YouTube video. I recommend you, go, uh, those listening, check, check it out on YouTube. It's very interesting. You know, like I said, she's pretty and, and, that, and, and more. <laughs> but when um, she puts the glasses on, 
and it's almost like she, she looks so much smarter. Not that you didn't look smart before. Right, right, right. But like, oh yeah, my, um, yeah. She has a PhD. Look at those glasses. Right, and, right. And just, but just yeah. listening to you, really, you really are obviously well studied and researched and knowledgeable. Uh, I'm, you know, it's. I mean, I don't even know what to say. I'll just, I'll just be present. <laughs> Great right. stuff. Now you already alluded to uh, the sexual. Re- situation in marriage um which you know what they might you might one might be bored or or stay you know find themselves in a stale situation what are some common situations we find ourselves in sexually the common situations dependent on age group and culture norms right now are we have uh i would say those that are in my age bracket late 30s early 40s are either divorced and or thinking about divorce. You know, then what's the divorce rate is one out of two now, unfortunately. Um, so disenfranchised. So what are they feeling in sex? They're feeling a sense of emptiness. The people that I've interviewed recently, emptiness. You know, they're, they're having sex one night stands, but yet at the end of the experience, they feel emotional disconnect. And that's because people are not bonding and people need to use sexuality as a form of bonding. A man releases oxytocin 10 times higher at orgasm than a woman does. Wow. And that's a form of bonding, you know? So that's why, um, and a lot of tantric uh, coaches will go into this, uh, like Tracy Elise, who is the founder of the Phoenix Goddess Temple. Like men need orgasm in order to feel um, connected you know, and kinesthetic, tactile kinesthetics, you know, touching, it's their love language, a lot of them, right? Like more feeling, hugs, hand-holding. When I hear about what's the most common thing in sex right now is that people um, have tried everything and uh, they can't, uh, you know, find anything left that's taboo to explore because they've sat around with butt plugs and they've had BDSM experiences. They've been with mistresses and dominants and they've lived daddy daughter lifestyles or they got into costume play or role play or furry lifestyle. But what's next? What's the frontier? And that's when I say like, if and especially with, if you look at history, anytime that there is gender bending in history, it means that things are about to switch back over. Um, and I can put more in behavioral conditioning, which is my Facebook group on that. So we've had a lot of gender expression recently. And so I think personally, uh, things are going to switch back over, like I said, to family values and monogamy real soon with the next generation coming on. Yeah, um, I think, you know, uh, I think that's going to be part of a, a political change, too. I think that we're going yeah. one direction. There's going to be a backlash and the resistance to it that that's quite inevitable. I mean, we're, we're living in the age of insanity. <laughs> we are. Like, uh, I mean, um, a client will ask me, you know, can you give me some advice on butt plugs? And I go, well, whatever happened to the advice on having a nice, clean relationship with a beautiful woman, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm now answering questions on butt plugs. You know, Um, I've been very, I've been very fortunate in this uh, intrinsically, you know, when I was young, sex freaked me out. I was like, ah, I'm talking about (laughs) high school, high school years. 
And then I went through the army and then I became very sexual as a young man. I was, you know, I had my, my conquests encounters. I was, I was very sexual. I had a bunch of lovers. Then I kind of chilled out. And then I got into the monogamous area of my life, the era where mm -hmm. I was having uh, some, some significant monogamous relationships. And then I don't know what happened, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, I was kind of just focused on my, my missions in life. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, but I have found that in comparison I have been quite vanilla <laughs> to, to a lot of people, especially the, this younger generation, which seems to mm -hmm. they're like they're right out of the Playboy Mansion, like you just yeah. were talking about. Right. Uh, and I think I, I think I mean, while experience really gives you a lot of knowledge and, and mm -hmm. perhaps wisdom, it could also be harmful too. Well, it's also since they're so wrapped up in the fetish and taboo, they're losing a part of the emotional component to sex, like I said, that gives them those euphoric feelings. And I'm sure that you can remember and those at home can remember what it was like just to think about someone and it gave you butterflies in your stomach. Now people have to, since they're over conditioned by pornography and these high level fetish experiences, uh, they're not feeling just the basic sensations of being aroused unless they're looking at something super intense, you know? And uh, that's why the anti-porn movement is pretty big right now. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, from, you know, and, and I guess uh, I remember being a teenager and just the idea of like running into my crush got me aroused, you know, just like butterflies in the stomach, just, oh my God, I'm going to turn the corner and there he's going to be. You know, it's like, total opposite you know yeah I talk about. there's a lot less yeah. emo emotional life i mean going yeah on. and to to create that emotion in someone is what gets them turned on and tuned into you especially women women are you know all the seduction gurus will tell you to fractionate them and get them totally addicted to some kind of trigger you know of some sort then you associate it to yourself and you're now a king of their kingdom you know um but that that is some true stuff you know we all need emotion but it's also now non-gendered you know like men come to me and they're like man i am being emasculated at home i can't get the power dynamics back and yeah we are in a culture of where men are getting emasculated more yeah. than yeah. ever before almost, almost yeah. as a as a part of government policy it seems these days yeah, unfortunately <laughs> yeah okay well, let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor and we'll come <laughs> right back with Callie Dubois this episode of self-help coaching is brought to you by Perficio ever heard of accelerated learning techniques what if you learn more deeply than ever before what if you remembered what you learned far better than ever before Visit www.proficio.io, that's proficio.io, where you can understand perhaps better than ever before. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petroza. We are having a orgasmic, no, 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 organic conversation with a really fascinating and intriguing Callie Dubois. And I mean that quite sincerely. This is, this is a pleasure for me. Uh, it's so you're packed with so much information. I don't know where, where to bring the, the, the discussion. It's like, okay, let me go there. No. <laughs> so I'll, I'll strive to, to have some clarity. Uh, well, let me just ask a question to, to get a, to get us resuming. Uh, 
how how to detect irregular behaviors in sexual partners to prevent narcissistic and borderline personality. That's one of the things you do. I think your, your coming book probably yeah. goes into that. And, yeah, I, and I, I got a lot to say about that too. Okay. How do we um, detect? Uh, the key thing is, uh, well, first off, uh, if there's any trauma, you're going to have an overlay. I call them rose-colored glasses. So most of us have sexual trauma. One out of three people, doesn't matter what gender, have been sexually assaulted in their lifetime before the age of 18. So we have what we call blinders on, and we will look uh, at anyone and through those blinders and come up with some kind of phobic response. So the big thing is to look at your own patterns of behavior and why you're attracting uh, narcissistic abuse. Usually it stems from childhood trauma. Um, and then, you know, looking at the imprints that you've had. Now, most of the time when people have had narcissistic abuse, they no longer have self-trust. So they're always looking for external validation in all of their decisions. They're the parent, uh, the, excuse me, they're the child that calls home to the parent to make sure that they're boiling the rice right. You know, <laughs> they're the type that get involved with male or female partners because they do not trust their own judgment anymore. And that's what they call an empath. And I don't necessarily believe that to be an empath. I believe it to be someone who's traumatized and they've lost sense of their vagus nerve. You know, this, this feeling in your gut when things are right or wrong. Um, and um, so uh, they have a tendency to look for this external force to validate them. That's the narcissist coming in, you know, uh, the person uh, who will ultimately lead to... <laughs> this person's demise because by the time a narcissist is done with uh, their lover, that person is to be nothing. Yeah. It's unfortunate. So but that's, past yeah, trauma, past can, trauma, can create blinders. Past trauma creates blinders and you're more likely like um, statistically, if you've been raped once, you're more likely to get raped again. Um, so yeah, it's about knowing that you've had trauma and working through that. So one of the things that I do as a sex therapist is I do a program called Hike to Heal, which is, uh, taking women, uh, particular women, uh, out into the back country and we have them process out the trauma through wilderness therapy. And by the time they're done, they come back out of the woods two weeks later, self-reliant because we're teaching them how to rock climb. We're teaching them leave no trace methods. Uh, we're working with them high level NLP, uh, hypnotherapy, behavioral, uh, CBT, all different kinds of things. Yeah, and, and to get them to trust their instinct because when you're out in the back country, you have to trust your instinct. You know, that's great. Way out, not campgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. When my company steps out, we're going to have a program similar to that, not a therapeutic one, but a mm -hmm. confidence building one, a leadership oh, yeah. building one, mountaineering. I love that. It's fantastic. You know, and mm -hmm. I meant, you know, I was really juiced to ask this question about BPD and, and narcissism. I, over 20 years ago, I found myself in a relationship with a woman who almost certainly had BPD, borderline personality disorder. And, and I, I didn't get any answers coming from her. There were none forthcoming, but I was like, why, why, why am I suddenly insane? <laughs> you know, I mean, a lot more crazier than I used to be. Uh, and, um, and so I, I, you know, I, I delved into abnormal psychology to find the answers and I finally found it 
when I read yeah. the, you know, the DSM-4 of BPD, I was like, wow, this is her resume. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Okay, okay. And, yeah. And let me kind of just, uh, gaslighting is very common in relationships with people, in particular women with BPD, because what they do is, I'll give you a little story, which I've heard probably a thousand times with male clients is their wife, their, their wife will be like, oh yeah, let's go on a date. So they get prepared for the date. They take their wife out. They may, may have been married 12 or 15 years and they take them to the nicest restaurant. The wife is dressed nice, lipstick, hair done, you know, uh, totally abnormal, correct? And by the time they get home, he's hot and heavy, but she's tired. And she, <laughs> she, <laughs> she throws on her sweatpants and walks downstairs to the extra bedroom and shuts the door <laughs> or gets on her computer or finds a way to sabotage the experience by doing the direct opposite, like putting on her running shoes and taking a walk around the neighborhood after this person has built up, you know, the, the dating effect. Right. Um, right. So that's, that's actually called gaslighting. You know, it's a form of gaslighting. It's getting someone hooked into, yes, there is a promise at the end of this experience that I'm not gonna put out because there's still a level of resentment so they're utilizing passive aggressive behaviors in order to correct a behavior in the husband or you can say the wife, I'm, I don't wanna to get too gender specific, but that ultimately pushes the partner further and further away from them and makes them explore sexuality outside of the marriage because you know, what's the point? It's become futile. Wow. Right? And then they end up at a marriage and family therapist spending thousands of dollars trying to figure out how to come to terms well, with one another. Business must be good for you. <laughs> you know, we, we, we need consistency. And when all of a sudden someone, maybe not all of a sudden, but <clears throat> does it just enough, is inconsistent, you know, it leaves us a lot, you know. I remember with that with that woman who I, I say has BPD, you know, I was I was the hero one day. The next day I, I was the, the greatest villain on planet Earth. I was like, <laughs> oh, well, at least right, on the extremes, right. you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, BPD is an interesting thing. And I think it can be resolved. I think it's a personality disorder that can be resolved in a person. It's about a feeling of safety and, um, yeah, just getting their emotional sense of balance back. Uh, somewhere down the line, they've had to have trauma. And we can do major things with certain forms of psychology that allow us to re-imprint new, re new behaviors that would have been more constructive and erase the old memories and the old behavioral triggers. So those don't, because there's something, you know, it's, if it's not you, there had to have been something, you know, that led to that historical, you know. Oh, yeah. Build up, build up, you know, oh, totally. and it, 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 to me, it's, uh, I look at people and I go, well, how did you get where you are now? You know, like what, what kind of, you know, what was your trajectory of your behaviors? And then let's reverse engineer it. Let's find it. And uh, like, I work with a lot of transvestites. That's kind of like a big community that I work with, like men that consider themselves sissies and want to be, um, you know, if we can go into wild stuff, um, they dressed as women and sent out to uh, Most of my audience is children, <laughs> Callie's, relax. <laughs> so, um, you know, so we created a company about three years ago, 
uh, called My Sissy's Closet, and we sell clothing and prosthetics. Wow. Uh, what an entrepreneur yeah. you are. I want to get into that. We haven't, we haven't got into the, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, we, we sell clothing like lingerie for men because we found out that there wasn't any lingerie that actually fit men. They were buying female lingerie, but the, nipples are, spread, the, the nipples are spread a little bit differently on the chest. And it's hard to find clothing. I mean, you're, you end up wearing like extra, extra large panties. And then you're sitting there around sneaking, you know, what happens a lot of the times is that they end up purging all of the content that they bought, the lipstick, the wigs, the prosthetics, the uh, makeup, the clothing, you know, and they might have spent 2000 to $10,000 on these items, but then they end up rebuying it. And I, I said to myself, I tell every client who comes to me that has this as you know, a fetish. And of course, there's always some kind of gestalt that's off. They don't want to be that, but they crave it so badly. Um, so I have to get them congruent with who they are sexually. It doesn't matter who they are, or how they define themselves. I don't care if they want to walk around, you know, with a sock on and that's their fetish. It doesn't matter. They still are a human being and they still have the rights of being a human being and should be respected. Um, so, you know, I said, well, there's no sites on this. These people keep on asking me for stuff. They keep on, you know, thousands of them, you know, it's one of the most major fetishes. On one group, there's over uh, 72,000 people that identify as sissies or transsexuals related to that, that, that mold. And I said, no one is serving you. And all of you have like, uh, these phobic responses about who you are, you have identity level issues, you have spiritual issues, and there's no therapist willing to take you on because they all think you're strange. I don't think you're strange. I spent years being an athlete and having low body fat that women used to come and harass me and ask me if I was a boy pretending to be a girl. So I've had gender issues myself. I was bullied uh, during the times that I've been an extreme gymnast in my lifetime down to 96 pounds, 3% body fat, no breast tissue, no ass, you know, chiseled jawline. I look like a little boy and I've had, um, you know, discrimination. And so I know what it's like uh, to sit there and question, you know, like gender, you know, I came out of the closet as a bisexual at age 11. Uh, 11. And I was 11 years old. I, well, I knew that I was a homosexual way before then. Uh, I knew I was a homosexual probably at four years old. Wow. And most of my clients have most of their sexual per perversions or fetishes or whatever it really started before the age of seven. So during that imprinting process. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So what, what, how did I get that way? I think it was television. I was watching a lot of television. Uh, I, I grew up uh, on uh, a family farm in Wisconsin, and they would put the TV on as a form of, ba of a babysitter. And I would sit and I'd watch things, and I'd sit and watch Baywatch, you know, and I, oh my God, look at those women, you know, like, oh, I wish I could be them, yeah. you know, uh, especially when you grow up in a very small rural community uh, and uh, want to leave the nest, you know? So the, yeah, so yeah, so most of my clients, uh, I, I, after all these years, I think their sexual fetishes definitely started before the age of seven. Wow, that was, I mean, you just said <laughs> so much, I don't know where to go. <laughs> you know, and, but you know, let me circle back for a moment about the BPD, because I, I don't want to vilify okay, okay. women with BPD. 
Uh, and, well, and we saw that with Amber Heard, most definitely. She was vilified for having a mental health disorder. And it clearly, they were both each other, uh, at each other. One was a narcissistic abuser and the other one was a borderline personality disorder abuser that two abusers together don't make a right, you know? So unfortunately- You know, I mean, with, my, no. with uh, contemporarily, well, at least, you know, I, I mentioned that experience I had with that woman long ago and, and I really got a disdain, oh, BPD, I hate them, they're zombies. You know, and I was like, this is, this is, this, I gotta get rid of this. This is baggage mm -hmm. I don't need or want. And, and so I, I, I met a woman who told me she had BPD. She, you know, it wasn't hidden. Uh, she volunteered it. I'm like, Tony, this is my opportunity to grow here. Uh, I can say, no, no way. I've been been there, done that. You know, I got the scars. Um, but uh, so I got into a relationship with her and it's been great. It's been great. You know, she's That's nothing beautiful. like that. She's not all this, not all this craziness. You know, I gotta, I gotta, what's that? Yeah, you're challenging yourself. You're questioning. You're questioning your belief system. I'm committed to personal development and that doesn't, doesn't mean just, you know, uh, you know, talking about Marcus Aurelius, that means every part of my life, which includes, you know, my, my romantic relationships. So, and, and, right. and matter of fact, we had broken up, we got back together and I, and I said, well, what do I need to do uh, in order to make this work? Uh, and I, I, you know, I wrote it and she was amazed that, the inside i'm like yeah that's exactly the list i would have made i mean this mm -hmm. is what i want to do and you know we both had our, our both both our sides of course mm -hmm. and, and but i wanted to do it to develop myself not for her certainly i wanted the relationship but for myself <laughs> you know yeah. and i love yeah. that the, the their personal development should be selfish yes i hate to say it that should be selfish Absolutely. because you can't control anyone but yourself um, despite selling a lot of products that says you can con control people, <laughs> um, you, you really want to be able, like, uh, I, I've dated, uh, I, I, how I got into something very similar, me first kind of go into BPD. Um, BPD is stigmatizing for a lot of people, and yes. it's an overplayed identity statement now, and it is all pervasive, and when it becomes all pervasive, uh, it becomes victim mentality they can't see a way out it is a slippery slope so um just like how split personalities were popular in the 70s with books like sybil and things of that nature we can look at the trends of psychology and our current trend because of the amber heard case i would say is bpd um and now every woman because we have those glasses on those those frames that we're putting on every woman Every woman now has BPD. I was recently on a dating site and a guy said to me, I want to see your pictures now. They're pixelated. And I said, open your eyes. <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, are you bipolar? And like, like it's a stigma to have a mental illness. And I yeah. instantly reported him to the dating app and I blocked him because he was a fucking idiot excuse yeah. my french no, yeah you know? like, the compartmentalize <laughs> so, and label yeah and so label. so if we if we look historically at trends of psychology like i said split personality disorder was popular in the 70s and then we looked at like the implanting of thoughts and ideas through the art of hypnosis in the 80s right like realities created hallucinations false accusations all of these things, cults and satanic False cults, memories. 
and now it's uh, then Nixium happens. Well, sex, sex cults are always going to be popular, you know, and they're just like, oh, sex cults exist. Yes, they do exist. A good friend of mine, Tracy Elias, is considered a felon number two. She spent time in federal prison. She's a crime boss because she operated a tantric temple in Phoenix. She's one of my closest friends. I'm going to go and visit her in Phoenix, you know, at our new compound. Um, (laughs) But she had no, there's, there's good cults and then there's bad cults, of course. We're not talking about human trafficking or coercing any, anyone into a sex cult. These women joined at their free will. Right. Um, and uh, so, but Nixium is a totally different story. So if we look at historical trends, what I'm getting at is BPD is now a historical trend. So it's narcissistic behavior. I mean, we all knew narcissism because of American Psycho, that movie where he's, you know, shaving and he's getting his tan and then he sleeps and slaughters them in the 90s. I mean, like the American Psycho, the, the corporate executive, right? Like all of these books by who knows what psychologist telling us um, this is the common traits of a psychopath. Well, are they, or are we just filling our minds with bullshit, right? That's really what I think we're doing. We're going, okay, well, this is in five different books and five different experts on the subject say we should look for CEOs and most CEOs and most lawyers are gonna be narcissists and movie stars, you know? Come on, give me a break. Let's not generalize, right? Well, not too much. Uh, not too much. Makes sense. Often right, failing. Right, right, right. <laughs> so we have to historically take it as a trend and know that it's just become the common headline for us to go. Ooh, look at that headline. Let me read it here for three minutes. Why I take my shit, you know, and then get back to work. Um, So I want people to walk away and understand that sexuality, like the expression of sexuality is an art, right? Um, And that if we identify uh, psychological issues, it is going to affect our sexuality because there is all these common myths, like the crazy woman is the best in bed, you know, that the cultural myths around sex, right? So I want to explode them and let people experience sexuality and variations, you know, and hopefully fill the gaping hole that is the spiritual need and uh, that, the spiritual need. All right, like, yeah. Let's hold that thought till we come back <laughs> because that's, that's, a, that's a big sandwich yeah. right there. <laughs> so let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor and we'll come back with the vivacious, yeah. incredible <laughs> Callie Dubois. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. People value all sorts of things, but Benjamin Franklin teaches us that the most valuable thing we have is time. With it, we can have practically anything. Visit www.perficio.io, that's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can truly learn how to value time and have that instilled in you so that you can best use time to work for you. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petroso. We're having a remarkable discussion with Callie Dubois. I, I am loving this. It's, there's so much information. It's, it's like, wow, wow. <laughs> great stuff. Um, we, we last left off at spirituality and, and, and perceived holes or people sensing holes, something missing. You know, I'm a recovered drug addict, clean and sober, well over 22 years. And, you know, I, I started off thank you, in NA and AA, 
uh, which was very helpful, but that's right. It's, those are minefields. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but they're, you know, which I'm indebted to, but nonetheless, one of the um, sophistries they had is that, you know, we have this, this spiritual hole or a God-shaped hole and you got to fill it with God, which actually works. It works well for me, but you got to be careful of the cultish aspects of those groups because they certainly mm -hmm. are cultish. Uh, but uh, when we think we're missing something, uh, we have a problem. <laughs> so you, you alluded to that several times, actually throughout this discussion. Um, yeah, a spiritual element. Yeah. What do you think about what's, what's going on? Um, I think that we are fed by the media and it's disconnecting us from a very visceral sense of going into trance because sex is a trance state and creating a union with the person that respects us and finding that level of respect that is mutual, whatever that might mean to you. So you feel comfortable uninhibited during sexuality to utilize that force that is sex and take the sensations and the anchored state and apply it to the rest of your life. I think that's what we're missing. And I broke it down into steps for those that are NLPRs just now. Um, <laughs> because I, I honestly think that sex can be a very deep driving force for success. There are two things in this world that we all go after, sex and money. Safety, of course. And, and think and grow rich. Pauline Hill said sex energy that's he said that's one of the the most important driving forces is is the sex energy and this is that's the 20s he wrote that you know you know and i think yeah so yeah and, and sexual energy if you really want to break it down i mean i i would definitely say that is the motivating force that spins the world around uh and to tap into the creative nature of it because the creativity is what's going to spawn new innovation and technology and connection of others and, and things of that. How do we get uh, creative? Our creative states is what creates industry, creates uh, some of the best businesses in the world, uh, inspires artists, or the muse, the sexual muse throughout history, inspired people like Van Gogh, you know? So, uh, and Einstein was very sexual too. I don't know if you've ever heard his story. No. He had multiple. I mean, lovers. the atomic bomb was very sexy. That's a hell of an orgasm. Come on. That is hell of an orgasm. <laughs> Orgasmic states, you know, how are we utilizing these euphoric states to transcend? And if we're in an environment in which we are uncomfortable or having sex at with people who do not value us, how are we taking our emotional states later on? and utilizing that force of nature. That's, I think that's really what the spiritual impairment is, is that we're not using sex as something as powerful as it could be. So uh, sexuality as a tool of power and empowerment. And a tool of power and empowerment, that feeling of like a bounce in your walk, it's pretty amazing to have just in your own physiology. You know, um, some of the most successful people I know and corporate America are some of the most sexual people I know, you know, but then again, like I said, to, to be uninhibited, you have to come to a very deep sense of self-trust. And that's when sex gets amazing. 
right? It's when you don't care that you have a belly or an extra wrinkle on your face or that you're over the age of 40, um, that these beliefs that have been installed into our minds about sex, they don't exist because we're caught in the moment because sex is a very visceral, very in your face, in the trenches, you know, type blood, sweat and tears, you know? So you know, it's sometimes, really sometimes, you know, obviously I'm a sexual creature, uh, surprise. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, but sometimes I don't want to be, you know, I'm right. like, you know <laughs> but I, I always come back to the fact that I am. <laughs> and I, and, and I, I'm yeah. like, this is something I need to accept. I mean, not just now, but, you know, enduringly, uh, because it's everything that you just described, you know, and if I even try to suppress it, there's going to be, a problem there's gonna be, be there's gonna be problems <laughs> and, and the problems then boomerang out of control and yeah. something you brought up too there there are times in my life as of most recent i didn't want to be a sex therapist i didn't want to be considered sexualized i didn't like that i was a blonde with blue eyes and that i was born this way um that every man hit on me uh, that I would wear baggy clothes. I actually took like a five-year break uh, to finish my dissertation and my PhD. And during this time, I focused mainly on frames of reference around sexual assault and female trauma. And when you're studying content, you often have your own memories come to play. And I said to myself, well, let's get myself out of this state because I got myself there, you know, by thinking about and interviewing all these women who've been traumatized. Um, and that's where a lot of people like social workers, you need to not fuck your cause. I call that a lot, which means don't get too close to it. Have a level of disassociation from the people you're working with. Otherwise, you're going to have, you know, influence. Um, so you need to always go meta when you're working with people because you'll go home and you'll take the, the client's problems with you. You know, like, oh, man, you start thinking, you know, you hear one woman come into your office. Well, he hasn't touched me in over 17 months. And then you start thinking to yourself, when has my lover touched me lately? You know, so you don't want to go there. You want to disassociate. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't want to be sexual for five years. I had, I had actually, I had a heart attack in March and they found out that it was broken heart syndrome and broken what? heart. Yeah. I have broken heart syndrome. And about three years ago, I had some serious health issues. I was working on a PhD. I was in startups, you know, kind of just overwhelmed and I had fallen in love with someone who had fractionated me and I hadn't quite understand. And so I was just like, took me years to get over it. Um, and lots of catharsis writing and processing out of it. Um, but it was just like, um, yeah, broken heart syndrome. Yeah. There's actually a term for wow. it. That's what I was diagnosed with in March. I was like, oh, you know, I was like, why did I have a heart attack at my age? You know, I was a long distance runner and stuff like that. But um, yeah. So how do we heal these holes that, uh, you go from being very sexual to not wanting any attention from anyone because, you know, the, the key thing is when you're when you're considered a very good looking woman, your in intellect is overlooked. You know, your 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 writing is overlooked because they want to uh, get the Kim Bassinger or the Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, in bed versus, you know, understanding their content and what they have to say for the world. A lot of people say oh, you know, Dr. Dubois was the wrong market. You shouldn't work with men. No, I love men. You know, I consider myself a man <laughs> trapped in a woman's body. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I've been there with you. 
most most recently. Yeah, and you know, to... you, you, you talk about your body numerous times in this discussion. Now, you're, you're like a, a jujitsu person too, right? I have, a, yes, yes. I own Red Lotus MMA. I've been a martial artist. I own the Female Self-Defense Academy. I'm taking a little side break to work on some books for them and then start filming and getting back into my fighting shape, as I like to say, but I do my martial arts all the time. I'm the number one knife fighter in the state of California for the female division. Of I gotta Joseph be Howard. careful, Kelly. I gotta be careful. <laughs> you might become my hero. I mean, right. As an entrepreneur, as a change worker, I mean, you, you really, you got the whole package. It's fantastic. I mean, you really, you don't mess around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, I look at my gi. Today, I didn't do anything. And I looked at my gi because uh, I just got into Utah. And I've been thinking about working with more um, cultures, like the Mormon culture, the Mormon religion. Uh, San Francisco, we're, we're wide open. Uh, that's mainly where I'm at. I'm in San Francisco and LA. It's where two of my offices are. We're wide open sexually, you know, but if the more closed off we get, the more interesting the people are. So I, uh, I always come out to Utah. I, I searched it last January and I'll be opening an office in Salt Lake. So, wow. yeah, well, yeah. Well, for those regular listeners, you'll notice that I have, I've had very short, very few commercial breaks because I, I just couldn't stop. Callie, I mean, I just like, I know you ain't stopping her, man. You just let her talk. And because it's, it's just been, you know, this role of, of information that is just both, I mean, I can say salacious, but it's like juicy, you know, and then like, oh, that's informative, that's valuable, no, that's wise, that's like, wow, that's surprising. You know, it's, it's like, you, it's so dynamic and so multifaceted. And we haven't even, you know, we haven't even talked about sex yet. Yeah, we, didn't sex. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't even mention sex. We didn't even mention my erectile dysfunction. No. <laughs> you don't have <laughs> and then we didn't mention that you know the business that you that uh that oh. you, have, you know she's a I'm a sailor she we found out she's a sailor too but she's a real sailor she sells the South Pacific I've only dreamt of it she's got a yeah. chartering company in Fiji she's on she's on her way there imminently uh this woman really lives life man yeah you've been such a wonderful guest Callie really yeah thank you thank you and that's the key thing is when you come to my events or you work with me the the key thing is to know that uh the expression of your sexuality is going to come out even more uh like when we come to my events sometimes like uh I'm the type of person that we have done a lot of work naked uh I I, I used to do naked storytelling which was a form of getting people over uh, the fear of a public speaking through getting naked while they told uh, personal stories. Wow. So to me, I mean, Talk you're about being to... vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So sexuality to me is like just getting yourself out of these uh, self-imposed fears, but also to have what we call and consider non-negotiable rules. Okay, because we don't want to. We want boundaries. Right. Yes. We really, really want boundaries. And that's the ha that's what happens with BPD people. They don't have boundaries. That, so I have my girlfriend. Sudden... If you haven't figured out, my girl <laughs> girlfriend is the one who has BPD now. And I make I make boundaries and she tries to get through them. And I'm like, no, no, no. She's like, oh, yeah. I think she throws a tantrum <laughs> and then later says, Thank you. I appreciate it. And she grows. So and boundaries are necessary for her and for me. And just like you boundaries are, are what healthy right. people have. Right, right. So, but you want non-negotiable terms. 
And these are your rules to enforce with others, right? If you're, especially if you're going to be sexual, very sexual and very open, but you have to have non-negotiable terms and how you want to be treated. Otherwise you're going to be treated like shit most of the time, a doormat. Yeah. So you need to go in and know exactly what you want and what you don't want. And that takes some meditation, I guess, to really kind of future pace experiences that could happen. You know, um, I was just having a conversation just today with my girlfriend who's a Jew. And I, 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 comedy is one of my gods. And I make jokes about anything. There's nothing I won't joke about. And uh, we were talking about the Holocaust. And I make jokes, not, not in derision, but because I make jokes. And, um, but I talked about how, like, obviously the Jews were terrible victims of the Nazis. But I also talked about the Nazis, as bad as they were, were also, they were half good and half bad, who really fed into their bad side. The Jews, the victims that they were, also half good, half bad, who were really victimized by the, by the Nazis. We're all half good, half bad, to use that description. Which side do we feed is what comes out more. Isn't that simple? None of us are bad or good, we're both all the time. Which side are we feeding? Yeah, what side are we feeding? I, I want people to feed their creativity. Yeah. You know, that, that's the bad side. Sally, <laughs> <laughs> I, I want I want people to be creative because that's when innovation happens. That's it. I'm all about. That's I'm it, all man. about people being productive. I very uh, anal retentive in that way. That's oh, why I've always been in Silicon Silicon Valley. It's the values of the time management I really enjoy. But then I soon realized I, I, I'm, as I got older that I missed uh, rural communities because oh, they're, they're much more fun because you know everything about everyone. And it's also <laughs> nostalgic for you as well. You know, I, yeah. I, 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 creativity is what it's all about. I created a virtual coaching program called Proficio that's gonna make self-help finally work. It's highly innovative. I'm all about that. And, and, and that's what really juices me more than anything. Not just the creativity part of it, but the entrepreneurial part of it, the vision, the purpose, all these parts that are really important. Uh, those are critical things in life. Kelly, I don't want to take any more of your time because I told you I'd get you out of the hour. Do you have any any final remarks for the audience? Um, like I said, have a non-negotiable uh, contract with yourself and how you want to be treated if you're going to explore sexuality. Um, in addition, understand that it's a creative part of yourself to bring forth and to express it in a way that is uninhibited because it is your God-given right to be sexual. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here on the planet, Fantastic. literally. How do, so, people, yeah. how do people find you or get a hold of you? Um, I own hypnosisfored.com, literally hypnosis for ed, uh, one word. Um, I own hypnosisforsex.com. I own a... Hiketoheal.org is not one of you. Hiketoheal.org is a program for women who are uh, wanting to experience wilderness therapy to out-process sexual trauma or domestic violence. That's very specific, right? What's your, what's your general site or general? My, you're all specialized, huh? <laughs> I'm very specialized. Uh, the big thing is I want people to know that there's resilience and love. You can love any time in your life and have the best sex with anyone. So it doesn't have to be one particular person, um, but also to, you know, question your own sense of reality because you can have amazing future, amazing Absolutely. future. 
And I yeah. understand you have a, a free gift for anyone who wants Yeah, it. I'm going to give you guys a bunch of stuff. Um, I'll give you my Mind Over ED program, my Sexual Awakened Mind, which is a transcendental meditation for really great orgasms. Um, I'm going to give you guys just a full stack, probably over $2,000 worth of goodies. So I'll just wow. Download, wow. download right now. Just a where, bunch of stuff, even a seminar on how to give people orgasms with hypnosis. That was where specifically do they go for that? Um, I will just give it to you. Is that okay that I give you the downloads or they can go and add me on Facebook let, and let me know. No, no. Heard let, let, let them find you and get it. Okay. Cut out, cut out the middleman. Let them go straight to Cali. <laughs> okay. You can add me. Uh, uh, actually just go to hypnosis and I will have a, a little link that says download all these great goodies. There I you feel go, as people. there's great a lot stuff. of information out there. Thank you very much for your generosity yeah. and kindness. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mean, more or less I have, all sorts of unique people and you certainly are very unique but you're also you know your ideas and your notions are obviously controversial uh which i love (laughs) but you really seem to know what you're talking about (laughs) you know and and you're and you're not yeah and it's in your specialty you're not you know is it's not in one particular field or category you're so rounded well-rounded is fantastic i I mean what an incredible guest you've been thank you so much Callie. thank you thank you for having me on the show my pleasure and remember everyone we're all responsible for ourselves and we could all use a little help with that thank you Callie. thank you everyone for listening we'll see you at the next time on the self-help coaching podcast thank you for tuning in to the self-help coaching podcast where insights attitudes and methods for success get illuminated Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. Remember to visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Self-Help Coaching Podcast.